Maybe we'll go with what did you have for breakfast today? Um, I had a coffee with a scoop of protein powder in it, <laughs> which is much more butch than usual, um, but really? it's more convenience. Yeah. What would you normally do? Uh, not think about it, skip it, wait till lunch, be starving, eat something bad. So, yeah, I've been doing it for about six months now okay. because of Tim Ferriss. Yeah, fasting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and just because it's he, his whole thing of like just start with something to get your body up and awake that isn't just liquid. So that's good. Powder still, but yeah, it's been working really well. Um, and it, it, yeah, it stops me from eating donuts at one p.m. Welcome to the Uncommon Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Michaelides. In our podcast, we interview unique individuals and investigate interesting topics, helping you to build the uncommon sense crucial to increasing performance. Our guests have included a wide array of people, including venture capitalists, strength coaches, human rights advocates, chefs, bodybuilders, restaurateurs, and rappers, just to name a few. And you'll notice that Our conversational style and line of questioning is very much inspired by the likes of Charlie Rose, Joe Rogan, Tim Ferriss, and Charlie Munger, who, as Warren Buffett's business partner, really emphasized the importance of building worldly wisdom to, I think, improve your growth as an individual. Um, So that is is very important to us, and you notice that through our, our style and our questioning. If you'd like to learn more, please head to neural.com slash podcast. You'll see there we also have an index of all of our past episodes and, and the show notes included there. If you like this episode, make sure you leave us a review. We always appreciate your thoughts and and um, and feedback on that. 90% of our guests subscribe for priority access and our show notes. So perhaps you should consider that as well. Again, you can find the sign-up page at neural.com dot com slash podcast that is n-e-u-r-a-l-l-e dot com slash podcast don't forget to like us on facebook or twitter it's just at neural uh, on either platform in this episode we recorded with chevy long who is one half of the electronic duo indian summer and creator of apparel line classy duds it's always fascinating to get into the heads of creative minds and i think particularly with chev um there's an emphasis on valuing your time to focus on what truly matters or what you truly enjoy in life as opposed to just money and I think this is a great episode for anyone willing to pursue their creative passions and think laterally irrespective of how long that may take. Over the course of this episode you realize that Chevy is actually a man of many hats and his skills apply over a multitude of areas you know he's not just a muso. Um, So in terms of what we covered we spoke about the beginnings of Indian Summer um, the opportunities of travel and um, particularly in America um, and discussing America and Trump. Um, we looked at what their plans are for the future, how music in electronic sense is actually made from the creative process to 
producing a track to what makes a song successful to even the business model of music. Um, we talked, we touched on best and worst advice um, for, for those, I guess, starting out in music, as well as his interest in sustainable housing. Um, so I think this is a really intriguing episode. Like I said, um, for those who want to apply their creative passions, this could be for you. So without any further ceremony or ado, please enjoy this conversation with Chevy Long. <sighs> Chevy, we're live. Thank you very much for joining. Thanks for having me. Um, with every guest, I think like people like to hear a bit about who they are, what they do, all that sort of stuff. So sure. maybe you can intro who you are and what Indian summer is. Sure. Um, I'm one half of a production duo called Indian Summer. Uh, my name's Chevy Long. Um, Gabe and I, my mate who I produce with and DJ with, um, we've been doing it for... I'd say seven, seven years now, which seems really weird. It was a very slow start, um, just more of like something, you know, we were like best friends. We'd go out. We both DJed. We figured that we could probably get paid a little bit more if we started doing our own thing. So, that I, that's that's kind of where it started. What, what yeah. was the moment where you both said to each other we should do this together? We were um, on holiday. Like there was a bunch of us. We'd gone to. I'd I'd been touring, doing like um, the you know the typical Southeast Asia <laughs> hub for like six months on my own, and then I met a bunch of my friends, Gabe included, um, in Thailand, and there was this bar next to our hotel that was just empty every night. So we went to them, and like I'd I'd been working on um. A bunch of production and i mean that's it, it had been you know that was nothing new but it would we kind of were like why don't we just burn a bunch of this stuff to a cd and see if they won't let us dj next door because they got nothing to lose and i we brought one customer who was our friend sophie <laughs> i found the photo the other day it was super sad really yeah why? so there, it was just it was sophie just one person oh. i don't think the bartender was even really there really yeah um but that was good. That's that's I love telling that story because it's like back then it w- we were just so excited to have that opportunity. Like yeah. <laughs> we could say that we DJed overseas. So was it that moment where you like what was going through your head after you'd done it? Were you like, yeah, we should try that out again actually with a bar that's good? Yeah. Well, it, it was kind of – again, it wasn't like there was no um, – I don't think we had any ideas of grandeur. It was just like let's see how many people we can – trick into letting us play and we we did a pretty good job of it like um it was better when we could email people because you can as long as you word something right you can you know you can trick them whereas if you went to a bar like we were just tan over tan kids in raggedy clothes they could tell we were backpackers but um we got we got a bar in no uh, an in-store in stockholm Okay. Um, which we still haven't been paid for, but <laughs> um, that was really cool. It was like at the cheap Monday store, okay. And we kind of lied our way into that. I think they were just really happy to have two kids from Australia, which I think they'd figured out. They there's no way they could pay us. Um, we hadn't figured that out yet, so we were still under the impression that we were we we're going to get paid. Um, and they were like, they asked if we could play for eight hours straight. 
Whoa. And we were so excited. We, we, we did it. Yeah. Like. Just straight on the decks. Yeah. And no I breaks. think. No, yeah. Like, I mean, piss breaks, but. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Uh, they Yeah. They probably hit gold there. Wow. And so, from that, what was like the first gig that you did in Melbourne? Um, that's a good question. I, it would it would have been one of the like the street party nights that we were like we were already uh, yeah. residents separate to each other there, so it just made sense that we, you know, we we're like there's two of us now, give us double the money, which didn't really work, but like we got a little bit of a pay rise and all that sort of stuff is just like it's. It's really interesting now being so involved in uh, what I'm. I'm actually not that super involved in the the music, the industry itself, and like the the mechanics of it. Usually, like the that's a whole idea of you know having managers and booking agents is that you can kind of be hands off with it. But the the interesting part is seeing how everything changes and grows. And but in Melbourne, there's this. I mean, we've still got a you know debatably like weak scene with like selling tickets and stuff is always challenging for artists i mean like that's what i hear um but we've got a constant at least in street party it was around for like five years before i ever went there um and it's still going like i i was my housemate had a her birthday the other night and um where are they now street party yeah they're doing rats at brown alley Okay. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, For those who don't know, this is um, a venue down on like Flinders Lane and King. Is it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. So many fond memories of that. <laughs> that was that was like that was a place that we all went to. Yeah. Uh, like no matter where they popped up. Yeah, I remember my cousin used to. He DJed quite a lot. I can't remember what his ha- like his handle or his name was, <laughs> but um, Jimmy Nielsen. Jimmy Bags. Oh, Jimmy Bags. <laughs> I love Gabe and I still have a term where, like if you need to get out of a um a tr- like if if you need to go down like too far in BPM that you like it's not mixable we just jimmy out of it cuz Jimmy used to have this awesome trick where he just like I mean I guess it's not it wasn't individual to him but we saw it as individual to him he just like you know loop one beat so I was like ding 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 and just bring it up Really? Yeah. And, like, if you get it fast enough, it sounds like a building siren and then he'd hit play on the... Oh, Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What was... Do you know what his, like, name was? Um, Oh, fuck. He was... I should know this. Well, he was Backyard DJs and then... That's it, that's it, that's it. um, I think he did Conquer after that? Mm. Yeah, he just got back from uh, London, actually. Yeah. Yeah, he's looking like a caveman. (laughs) Yeah. He's got a full on... Full on um, mustache now, but um, okay. So you you started DJing at Street Party, yeah. Flash Rats, and then what? What was the moment that it sort of blew up for you guys, where you're getting featured on Triple J? Uh, that was probably after getting signed to um, Sweated Out. Yeah, uh, yeah. Though it it never really felt like it kicked off in that, um, as in there was there was like this nice building momentum. So there was never like this sugar rush of yeah. like I don't think there ever is, right? No. Well, I, yeah, I I don't know. I 
I've I've definitely seen it, you know, from you know viewing someone else's career. But again, yeah, I, how that feels to be that person, I'm not sure. Like that, I'm sure like people like Flume, that sort of rise was monumental. Yeah, monumental, and it, like span of six months before he was like the the guy to see. Um, whereas with us, I think. Yeah, we tested the water with like a couple tracks and um we kind of just had this collection that we just would keep building and keep sending to Adrian who was doing sweated out at the time. Um and he'd kind of you'd you'd always see like there'd be the oh yeah, that's, that's cool and then there'd be the ones that he was huge on. So we just kept trying to trial and error, like yeah. um sending him track after track until we had four that he was happy with split them into two A-side, B-sides, and they had, like, an interesting effect. Like, the first one connected quite well. Like, it had good reception, but no one was playing the A-side, and the B-side got added to rotation on Triple J. And um, then the second, the follow-up EP after that um, (laughs) didn't get, like, the warmest reviews critically, but was definitely the stronger, you know, like, it's still the the crowd- favorites and has way more plays on yeah so it's, it was kind of an interesting kind of uh i find critical reviews fascinating because i mean like on the weekend we watched or we went and saw the the new king arthur film oh yeah <clears throat> and like love guy Ritchie and his films and like you look at the critic reviews on like rotten tomatoes and all that it's like 20 percent. but then really yeah but then like the ratings by everyone else and imdb and rotten tomatoes like by crowds is like 80 percent I've had a a few people tell me to go and see it. Yeah, it's a brilliant film. Really? Um, Like, because, I mean, the storyline of King Arthur, it's not exactly like the most in deep thing. And more so, like, if you're going to see a film like that, like, what are you expecting? It's it's an action film. Yeah, I thought it was going to be like a bit of a popcorn flick. Yeah, it definitely is. It's definitely a major production, but like Guy Ritchie just really adds his, you know how like he always like, it's always like switching from one person to another in the actual scene and how they're having those flowing conversations like on Snatch. Yeah, yeah. I was like going to say like my only real reference is Snatch. Yeah, and um, that sort of cockney back and back and forth is... He's brought- yeah, I noticed I like um, that I, I actually I got halfway through his uh, chat on Joe Rogan yeah, before was- I got distracted and did something else. But like they they went deep. Yeah, well, they were talking about archetypes, weren't they? They were going real deep on, like, the hero archetype, the snakes and all that sort of stuff and all these sort of things lost. that have been in our culture for years and how he uses it to tell stories, apparently. I was, I think I was driving at the time and I, I'd, you know, I'd get kind of distracted with, by the road and then come back into the conversation. and Like, he'd be tying, yeah, archetypes back to his pocket square. So I got a bit lost at one point. But I think what he was saying is, like, the hero, like in the modern era, he was talking about archetypes and the hero archetype and then um, the symbolism in the modern era is like a man with a suit. That was like his yeah. rationale for wearing yeah, a yeah. suit. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, like with all those podcasts, they sort of just go off the rails a bit. Not off the rails but just off on tangents. Yeah, especially with, wrong with that. Joe Rogan at the the wheel. Like he's, <laughs> he's always ready to jump down those rabbit holes and, I yeah, yeah. I guess that's why. You listen. Yeah, exactly. How did in the name Indian Summer come about? Um, it's a song by Beat Happening, I think. 
Um, originally, so previous to the production um, pairing, we were talking about doing like a music blog, music news website, and calling it Indian Summer because um, we there was some CD that Gabe's cousin gave him that had like uh, a bunch of songs on it, and he'd like he'd use the names a few different names I think from um the a few different tracks for just different projects that he'd been doing, whether it was musical or I think I and I remember him being like, Yeah, we should call it Indian Summer. I was like, Yeah, that sounds like I like I like the sound of that. Um and then so we we eventually just scrapped the the music news thing and just focus on music. Yeah. Well I we weren't looking to do music together um until it was kind of like we both do this. Neither of us really, I don't think at that point had much experience doing anything, um, any online blog. I think Gabe did start a, a blog called Wax Waves, but I don't know if that was before or after. But yeah, it's it's strange how those things come around. What did you guys do when when you were like sort of rising up the ranks with Indian Summer? How did you spend your other time? Uh, working. We... Um, Gabe had a, Gabe had a far more glamorous job than I did. I worked at a toy store for the better part of seven years and Gabe worked, he started at Dan Murphy's, um, but then, uh, got a job running Purple Sneakers, which is a music news website. Yeah. Um, so we never took a paycheck from Indian summer until like, I guess it was like mid 2015. So we were just like everything that we did went into the Indian summer account and then was used to, you know, buy flights, pay for accommodation. Okay. And it really like we just did it because we had jobs previous to uh, Indian summer. So it was kind of like it seemed a bit uh, why why would you put stress on on your creativity by just going, well, now this has to be everything, your bread and butter. We had like – the job, the toy store that I worked at was super, like, very, like, everyone was awesome. I could call them up and say, I'm not coming in this weekend. I got a last minute booking in Sydney. And they, they'd be, yeah, that's fine. So, you know, I didn't want to give up a good thing. Gabe could, like, didn't have to get out of his pajamas if he didn't want to, because um, he worked from home, just needed an internet connection. Yeah. So um, we just, and that gave us an opportunity to, like, we have a, a really solid um, kind of uh, following in Perth and Sydney, um, more so than Melbourne combined. Like, really? Yeah, yeah. Melbourne, we I think we play like maybe once a year in Melbourne. Um, what do you think that is? I think it's because we put uh, like most of our time and effort into like we were we were resident DJs that you could see any other week here, and then um, we kind of. We were one-offs in Sydney, Perth, mm. Brisbane. Sydney, Perth, Brisbane. We've all we've got really solid followings in, and I think it's it, now that I think about it, it it wasn't so. It's not super available to, um, like at that point we were getting maybe a hundred dollars, two hundred dollars for a set. So for flights and accommodation, it wasn't viable. But we could do that because the money that we were earning just kept going to this kitty that would keep 
spending. And it wasn't it wasn't profitable, but we'd put our own money in and, you know, take equity and Yeah. You know. Um but it meant that we like in Perth to to be able to afford the flights eventually. Like when we decide we want to stop losing money, our mates would go, all right, because they, they kind of had a monopoly on the scene that they were running. They did Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, Sundays. So they'd just put us on their couch and we'd just do a full uh, Wednesday through Sunday of wow. shows. And like I think we probably wiped years off our lives doing that just because it was like uh, it was so energy intensive. And they were, they were 23, 24 at the time, so – they were still young enough to want to go out to every show that they were putting on. Um, and they had a huge group of friends. It, you know, it was, it was such an exciting time. And we only had that opportunity really because we were, we were okay with losing the money because we had jobs to go back to. Right. Um, and yeah, I think that's a huge, I, I we kind of, we didn't do that tactically, but I would, I suggest it to anyone that's, you know, like if you can support yourself off your, um, off your passion, that's great. Yeah, you've, but you've got to do that at some point if you want to build up that cred. Yeah, I do. I would just say don't put undue stress on your passion if it's got to be your everything, straight up. Like if you go from zero, like never been played or whatever you're doing, like no one knows of you, and you go, okay, this is going to be my thing now. Pressure is a is a really good motivator, but I think. You know, give it six months. <laughs> <laughs> where, where was the? I'm thinking about where. Where was the time where it sort of flipped for you guys? Where it, this stopped becoming a money losing thing and it would, became a money making thing. Um, we we had a. It was probably around 2014. We released a single of ours um, called Shiner, and that had a. I mean, we, we'd been. We'd been pretty comfortable, the, well, the band account had been pretty comfortable um, for about a year before that, but we hadn't been taking any money out. Um, and we we had this success with that song to the extent that uh, I went to America in the start of 2014 along with our manager and just kind of went to South by Southwest and ah. yeah, it was really cool. We met a bunch of really cool people. And in that time, um, Martin, our manager, uh, had a chat with a bunch of agents. And at that point it was like, I mean, I'm sure there's probably still some sort of attitude like this, but anything Australian was like gold rush. Everyone was trying to buy up Australian talent. Really? Yeah. Flume had just broken over there. Um, and he was a no-name before that. Like, he was just out of nowhere, even though he'd been headlining Splendor the, a week before in Australia. <laughs> um, well, he probably wasn't a no-name, but, you know, he, he wasn't. He was still doing – I remember hearing him say, like, in an interview, like, it went from sold-out ticketed shows in Sydney to, like, 200-cap venues in America – because you know, you've got to build that audience. But there was there were, really wasn't that crossover with this Australian kind of this whole thing that was going on with Australian producers hit really really quickly. So um, yeah, we were lucky enough to find a guy that was like, all right, new song is cool. Um, come back in a no- in November and we'll we'll tour you. And like I think after because they they'll sponsor you and they like we got a green card um, for a year. Yeah, right. A working visa, sorry, for a year. And they'll just take it out of your 
uh, your show expenses. And I think I remember we we had that was the first time we were like, yeah, that that's okay. Like we can we can cop. We won't make any money off this tour, and we can pretty much float ourselves. Um, that was really nice. It was like we got to go to America and drive around and fly around uh, and play shows. <laughs> any weird stories for us for that trip? Oh, there was a lot of weird stuff. It wasn't like it wasn't very rock star. It was more like going to Kansas City, <laughs> which is the weirdest place. Really? Yeah, like it's, seeing those pockets is really interesting. Like. Um, it, Kansas city was a, it wasn't super strange. It was this quaint, I guess is the word. Like it, it's like you're walking back into the nineties that you fly into the airport. Um, there's just no one there. It was like a ghost town at the airport. You walk out, there's no cabs, there's no one standing around. And then there's just this phone hanging lonely on the wall and you pick it up and there's no, there's no um, dial pad. Oh, really? And then, like, there's just this, hello? On the other end, like, you pick it up and there's someone. An operator. An operator is there. Wow. And it was, like, it was it was weird. It was, like, surreal. Like, oh, hey. And they're, like, you want a cab? Yeah. <laughs> and then almost, like, out of the mist came this cab. <laughs> um, so, we got to see a lot of that. I drove on the wrong side of the road in San Fran in front of a police car. And that was really interesting too because they, like, obviously not something you want to do. But they were in one of those, like, big, mean SUV things. And, like, the moment I said sorry, you could see the guy go, oh, fuck, the accent. Yeah. It's fine. Go. <laughs> um, do, but, do you see now, like, you, you've you had – when was that time in America? Uh, 2014. End of 2014. Okay. Does it surprise you then with things like – I mean, obviously, Trump happening. You get, you sort of seems like you got to sort see the polar opposites of society huh. in America. You know, you got the big city and then the small city. Yeah, I like. I don't actually. I can't relate too much to my own experience there, but I found uh, stuff like um, Bill Burr talking about. <laughs> he's like, it, I think it's really good to travel. He's talking specific to like different cities in America because he's like. <laughs> gives you a better understanding of why this sort of stuff is happening. Most of those people that are voting for Trump want change mm. and the left aren't offering it. And they don't agree with half the shit that Trump says, but they're just desperate for something to happen. Mm. Um, some sort of movement, some sort of change. And, you know, and you go, oh, yeah. Because he's like, I think he's talking on a more basic level about empathy, um, which there, there was definitely like... It, like yeah, my my experience there was more of a high. You know, it was just like get to meet everyone, and it wasn't so much like getting to getting to know people on that sort of level and seeing a huge range. It was usually major cities, except yeah. for Kansas. Um, but you can sort of you can sort of get the vibe, you know. Yeah, and I found I found that sort of stuff really interesting because that's like you go, yeah, that that that's the story I want to believe at least with you know. Most of the people that voted uh, for Trump or, you know, like there's going to be people that are like 100% behind it. But then there's this other, like a really interesting um, statistic I heard was like the, when there it was like Hillary or Bernie and whatever sea of um, Republicans were up against Trump, a lot of the 
a lot of people were swinging not between like Trump and his Republican. Who was it? It was Ted Ted well, Cruz. Ted Cruz. You had Jeb Bush and Marco Rubio. Was Ted and Cruz a- like the the main contender against Trump? Or regardless, I, I, yeah, I think it was. I think you're right. A lot of a lot of the swing wasn't between uh, like uh, Cruz and Trump. It was between or um, uh, Sanders and Clinton. It was more between Sanders and Trump because yeah, they were the yeah. most radical. Whereas or the most polarizing, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, like uh, they offered. That's what they were, their their campaign was based around. Like massive. Cha- well, I mean, seemingly I dramatic. Change. I fought. You know, I I followed it from my. My armchair, but you don't know. It was it was really interesting to go. Yeah, okay. So like the general consensus is we want something to change. Mm. We want makes sense. Movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I it I like to think that we should always be in some sort of forward motion, like because it's exciting, not because like we're broken, but we're we're great. We're probably in one of the best points in time in human history if you look at it objectively. Like, um. There's some messed up stuff, but we're you know on a, on an evolutionary timescale. There's some pretty awesome stuff going on, um, and we should look to improve that. Regardless, um, yeah. I listen to a lot of. Uh, I go to sleep most nights listening to uh, Elon Musk being interviewed, <laughs> just because it's it's the, that sort of thing of like you shouldn't do it just because you you, you need something beyond just work you need something to be excited about oh of course you know some people have different answers like his being going to mars which is <laughs> that's a big bite of the apple but yeah i i uh, it's funny because one of our guests that we've had a good mate of mine who's going to be back on he recently just same thing he just quit his corporate job and he's going to go work for bang and olsen because he really likes sound and audio and that sort of stuff and he wants to do that <laughs> Just like I mean, it's a compa- it's a complete switch in life, and um, I'm with him on that. Like, why do something that you fucking hate to own mm. shit you don't need? Yeah, I think there's something to be said about um, financial freedom, and also both in having an abundance of what you need, and also finding the minimum of what you need. I had a a really fun. 2015 yeah 2015 end of 2015 halfway through 2016 i went uh i i we were getting evicted from our place because they were bulldozing it and uh there was kind of a scramble because we were in a house of five people so it was like i'd figured out that i didn't have to work so much i could quit my job and i could live off um, the wages that we paid ourselves from Indian summer, and that was really great. I mean, it was, it wasn't a lot, but it was like it, it would have been quite sh- liberating, man. Yeah, in a share house with five people. So when that was kind of taken away, it was like, how the hell do you find another five people? Because everyone was kind of going their own separate way. Uh, yeah. And I got a call from a friend being like, "I'm going to move to Byron Bay." His mum had just bought a property with two houses on it. One wasn't ready to be rented out, like for real money. <laughs> It was a you know it needed a bit of Renos, but for two dickheads in their mid twenties, it was fine. <laughs> and he was like, "I've asked her if we you know sling her a hundred bucks a week each. Can we live there?" And I kind of was like, I couldn't find any real reason other than if as long as the Indian summer team were cool with it. So I texted them, and they were like, "Yep." So I drove up there, 
and lived on like I think I'd spend my money on rent and food by Thursday and then just uh hope that like my petrol would last to Monday. And it but I found it really, really liberating in that like that whole thing of um very um Tim Ferris practice poverty yeah. because you realize that that's there's actually not that much to be fearful of here. Like yeah. um and you know, I didn't really push it that far, you know, what he he sleeps on his floor and eats Does beans stuff, yeah. yeah and nothing beans else. And, rice, yeah. and doesn't wash. And it, yeah, so I didn't take it to that extreme. Um, I probably was a bit light on the showers, but I swam every day, so that's fine. But I mean, yeah, you, you sort of. I mean, I've got this thing in my journal where, now where I like assess: Am I developing any hedonistic adaptions? As in, like, are you getting up to a certain level of income each time? And when you get there, are you like relying on like that amount of money? You know, and are you maintaining a lifestyle at that amount of money, or are you just living how you were with pre-increase in money? You know yeah. I mean? Um, I find that really, really useful. And what joy does it bring you? Like, exactly. Do these, like, the, the joy that I do find that it brings is not so much the things themselves. It's like not having to um, worry about it. I guess you know, like, uh, I wouldn't have an Audible subscription if it, this was like a year and a bit ago. Yeah. Um, because fifteen bucks a month for you know. A book, like, eh. but you, you know, you're probably getting a lot out of that. Like, oh, I'm improving chewing through them, improving yourself mentally. I mean, I read now um, a book maybe once every ten days or two weeks because I just read you, every night. Oh, okay, you're yeah. actually reading. Yeah, so if, I wonder yeah. if I, you know, I always wonder if I had the Audible thing. Um, you know, like I'd probably be churning through it. But the thing is, like, I love taking notes. That's how I learn. Uh, yeah, so very like, cool. You know, yeah, yeah. You'd be reading, and then I just scribble something on the on yeah. the side or whatever, and then go back and index it. And I was speaking to other guests about this. Is they were saying I need a Kindle because, like, you can go in, you make the notes, and it collates it at the end. But also, you can see other people's notes. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So, but I mean, I hate this screen. Really? Yeah. Like they're, it just it really that, bugs my eyes and makes that it like hard. soft matte. Yeah, like I don't like blue light really hurts my eyes, but um, I don't know. I just I love the old fashioned book, you know. It looks like I remember like the Kindle looks almost like a Game Boy screen, <laughs> you know, like that. Yeah, um, the old ninety style Game Boy. Now speaking of future, then yeah, it, what it, what have you guys got planned? What do you? Yeah, yeah. We, we had this uh so that that year of 2015 was when we started taking a wage and that was so we could quit our jobs and we could just write a bunch of music which we did. Um so now we've just kind of got this like this huge I, I I can't remember the last the last time I checked the demo pool was just overwhelming, but it's kind of now it's kind of like trimming the fat, you know, what's cuz you know, of that, how many of them are actually have the potential to be worked into a single? We've kind of figured that out. Um, we had like, I think five lined up. It's maybe turned into six now. Um, and yeah, it's just it's just a matter of um, getting it mixed, mastered, released to a, which is really nice. Uh, like we used to live. I mean, we we really didn't have a pattern of like. Uh, we didn't realize how um, quickly stuff comes around. Like you release something and go, oh, 
shit, okay, it's been six months. We need to stay in the market. Yeah. Um, so we used to, you know, release something and go, all right, well, now let's think about writing something else. And that that's not a very good, uh, like, uh, approach to, you know, timelining. So now we kind of did the opposite. We kind of fell off the face of the earth for about a year, year and a half. And then um, in November, we kind of popped back and did – Thank God, like, no one, like, everyone still wanted to book us and we got a good reception for our single because, you know, it's, it's a risky take. It's like falling into obscurity. But we got there um, and now we're just finding people, like, mixing engineers that we love working with. We've got uh, this guy, Sean, in Sydney who's just a freak. He's so good. Um, and then for our kind of, the all they work to different sounds, so a few different people. So yeah. what... Tell us about the process. Like, what what does your day to day look like, and what are you thinking about in terms of your time? Are you do you focus on X amount of time on creative process and X amount of time on thinking about or booking or doing events? Oh, okay. So the handy part of that is we've got um, management and booking agents okay. doing, uh, well, booking agents doing the the booking and. Um, management talking about you know whether we're going to do uh ticketed shows with other acts or um and kind of that bigger picture stuff which is awesome because you can't talk about what you don't know and it's nice to have people that know what they're talking about going these are the options which is your favorite okay um creatively it's kind of i'm split uh three ways i guess like so um Indian Summer being the main one. Um, but that's actually gotten a lot easier in that, like, a lot of the creative bulk work of production has been done. And now it's just about um, talking about who's going to mix it and who's going to do the artwork. Um, and then the other skew is I run an online uh, apparel store. Yeah. Um, which you, got, you got brilliant targeted advertising, by the way. Really? <laughs> like, I went on the website and then immediately the next day it was, like, front and center. <laughs> On um on Facebook. Yeah, I got really uh really into Facebook ad. Well, you know, like just simply how to it's, how to use it because it was all I knew how to do was boost posts. Yeah, which I've figured out now useless. Like <laughs> absolutely useless. Oh, Biggest waste yeah. of money ever. Yeah, yeah, but genius for Facebook because like there's yeah, it's so scary looking at that power editor um, or even the ads manager and just you don't know what your goal is. Like, what the hell is a conversion? Like, I had to. <laughs> And there was no like, yeah. I I spent about a week learning the bare basics, and then, um. So now it's that's very passive. Like, so, so the apparel business, what's it called again? Classy duds. Classy duds. Yeah. Okay. Um. So I just design them all in my, uh, well, when I can find time. The beauty of it is, as long as I got a laptop, I got Illustrator, and then I just need the ideas. Okay. Um. So that's the maintenance on that is um usually just uh, working to add schedules and um, checking emails, making sure everyone's happy. You know, you'll get uh, wrong orders and all this sort of stuff, cancellations. So that's – it's really mundane and, like, it's so common that I, I've got, like, literal, like, um, uh, like kind of structures built out in my head of, like, how to reply to things because it's always the same stuff. <laughs> Um, so that's really nice. 
um, and I get to be creative in it. It doesn't take up too much of my time and it offsets like, you know, I, I can live off it along with um, everything that I do with Indian Summer. And then the other one is before Indian Summer, I was uh, doing another project, um, which is, uh, I just, I, it's just for me, it's like an outlet of writing something a little different, a little darker, a bit more techno-y sort of stuff. Because um, if you try and do the same thing over and over, it, you kind of, I think you get too close to it and you, like, it work, the workflow is destroyed. So over the past, I mean, I guess four years now, there's just been these little um, tracks that I'll just write on my own and, you know, just kind of put them in the corner. And they built up to the extent that I was like, well, you know, I may as well put them out and see if you know, people like it. And I, my friends are on a label that they, they were like, yeah, let's do it. So I put out uh, two of those tracks. One of them was a joint with a friend of mine, Jackson, um, who I live with in Byron Bay. And yeah, so that, that's like super minimal. Like the, um, the time I spend on that, that's just kind of almost hobby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you not to, not to say I don't take it seriously, but it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, I know you mean, like, I remember when I was working in hospitality as a wine waiter, I sort of got burnt out a bit and, um, my outlet was focusing on beer Ah. instead. So just, and I used to do a bit of home brewing. Um, but yeah, like sometimes you just need a change, give you a bit of inspiration, whatever it is. Exactly. Like, even if it's not creative, if it's, I don't know, go for a walk. Yeah. Routine is a hell of a thing. <laughs> so when you guys are creating songs, how does it work? It's usually one of us starting with an idea. Like um, there's, I'm guessing everyone does this too, like, there's no revolution in thinking like Dropbox has been a lifesaver. Yeah. You can, uh, there's a collect all and save option on Ableton. So it'll literally like collate all of your samples together and um, just add it to the file itself. So anything that Gabe is working on, um, as long as we've got the same like plugins, and if you don't, you can always just like, there's a freeze option. Um, yeah, you can just, I'll send him something and go, what do you think? Yeah, cool. I got some ideas for it. Sweet. I'll send you through the file. And we can just back and forth through that. Um, we discovered that there's this awesome uh, <laughs> vocal. Um, yeah, what is it? This software that it's it's like, it's called Melodyne. And it's, it's for, it's professional grade um, tuning. So you can you can tune a voice without sounding like Kanye West. Like it, you can you can get a really nice clean vocal. So the beauty of it is that we can like write these kind of broader songs now with the vocals, tune ourselves like we're way off, tune ourselves, but then send it to a a real vocalist that can uh. go. Oh, I see what you're doing there. Oh yeah, yeah, I can do that. And they can probably put some ad libs and inflections that you know we physically can't hit. So you can. Morph your voice to sound like a certain style of singer. Mm, it's not. I, you're still your own style, but it's like you flatten the pitch. So if it's like, <laughs> you can literally make it a monotone note. And if you want to go up a note, there's like a, about a. You can nudge it like maybe three notes before it sounds like it's. I mean, it still sounds polished and electronic and treated, but 
yeah, you can, before it's down, if you're going up, like to chip monkey, you know. So, you, if you miss a note or if you're down one, you can always just nudge it back up. Yeah. Um, so, your process is like, okay, we get in, you, one of you starts with an idea, you iterate it, get feedback, get, and maybe let's say you got like 10 tracks going and then you whittle it down to a, the ones that you just like. Yeah. Like for example, now you were saying you had like five. five oh, yeah. Six, yeah. This, the discussion is a bit broader then. Then it's like, well, I think this one's like a winner. What do you guys think? Yeah, yes or you, no. Like there'll be – cool, on to the next one. Um, the beauty of kind of – because Gabe and I work really well. Like there's just – I don't know. It's it, – it, there isn't – I don't know. There's never like, oh, okay, like conflict. It's always like, yeah, cool, cool, cool. The conflict will usually, it's never conflict. I, I guess it's like the red tape comes with like the more cooks you put in the kitchen. Yeah. So, um, and you know, by no, like it's, it's always, um, it's never a bad experience, but there's this kind of bureaucracy to, um, if you add, uh, a vocalist, there'll be like, there'll be a, the vocalist and their manager kind of, you know, but then you got to take it to a label. Then you, deal with the label heads and we've got great relationships with our label and all the vocalists that we've worked with has been like really awesome, but it's just more red tape. So the kind of beauty that we're finding now is like, if you've, if you've written the melody, um, you can kind of like the deal is you go, all right, well, I'd love you to sing on this. Then you figure out a flat fee because like um, the composition copyright belongs to like either Gabe and I, Gabe or I, depending on who wrote, so it's like more so for efficiency that I'm liking that is that it's like you don't have to ask permission because yeah. you're the one that, yeah. Um, yeah. So, and so you can kind of go, this is it. Do you like it? Yes or no to a label. And with um, like, do you guys have sort of some sort of like principles or anything that you sort of guide yourselves when you're starting out initially <laughs> with the song? Or is nah. it just like completely fluid and you're just like, all right, I like the sound of this. Do it now style. That sounds like the having principles in songwriting sounds like a very, um, like a restrictive. No, no. Like, um, that sounds like something a very developed songwriter might have, Ah, you know, like they've, for me, at least on a personal level, I, I couldn't, (laughs) I, it's usually like a bouncing off some sort of inspiration directly from another song. Usually it'll be like, ah, oh, I want to make a song with a kick like that. I'm, I'm a bit more production focused. Gabe's really into songwriting, like structurally and melodically. I like the sound design of it all. Okay. That's, that's what really excites me, yeah. Ah. Now, what do you guys think is like the key attributes of a successful song? Like based off, <laughs> the, <laughs> based off the, the songs that you feel have been most popular – or have had the had the best response. Do you think you could pinpoint it at all? Uh, I can talk about it. Like uh, whether or not it finds commercial success is always like a roll of the dice, essentially. Because um, yeah, I, I think it's yeah. I mean, some people like there's so much stuff out there, and whether you know whether or not it's a hit now or later. It, there's like there's a capacity for a really good song to go unnoticed um what's a really good example tavlo uh that hi uh 
high all the time. Yeah. I think that like that was like a number one hit in Europe. And I think I think it might have gotten there in America too. Um but that didn't hit until like two two years after its release. I don't know how like yeah, yeah, yeah. it might have gotten uh put on an ad. Um and you know. Same thing happened with uh uh what are their names? I feel like that's a that's a thing now. Like, Walking on a dream by yeah, um, think I can't believe I'm blanking. Uh, yeah, I can't remember. Um, I mean, that was I've a got hit. a few of their songs on my playlist, but yeah, the Aussie band. Yeah, Strawberry. Um, not Panel. Not Panel. one of the dudes from Panel. Anyway, we can link it later. <laughs> Someone's gonna be screaming at their car radio. Um, but yeah, like I've, I have noticed that. I mean, how do you get? asked or requested to be in an ad it's just like a producer someone or a director just loved the song or do you do your managers like pitch people publishers yeah Ah. so um i i really don't understand publishing it is something that i has been explained to me so many times that the like bare bones of it or at least the bare bones of my own understanding is that it's someone that you you go all right i'll split you know i'll give you 20 percent of anything you find me if you put me on an ad or I guess now you can go into YouTube or uh, if someone on a film, if someone wants to pay me X amount of dollars, I'll give you 20% of that. Um, and then it kind of, in, their incentive is like, all right, well, um, we'll hook you up with songwriters and cause the more music we have to um, offer to, cause you know, like very, I don't think it, I very rarely does, um, the director of an ad go, okay, this is the song or, you know, like after the fact, it'll be like, we're looking for a a song. This is the script for, you know, Uh, for whatever it needs to be playful. It needs to be this, give us 10 options. Okay. Yeah. And then we'll look at it and choose one before. Yeah. Um, I, I'm still, yeah. I'm still very confused. Like there seems to be a lot of money in it. Like every time I've been to any sort of publishing agent's office, it's like, Really, really nice. Really? Um, yeah, um, but that sort of that sort of thing is that's how they get pulled. Well, that's how they get sold. Yeah, and then then from there you can have these sleeper hits. I obviously walking on a dream is uh <laughs> was a hit initially, but what's it like? I mean, this is the thing I find intriguing with artists is like the building up of a crowd. Like, artists are superb at knowing how to engage the crowd, I think. I mean, it's something you learn over years, right? I don't know. Like, physically on stage, some some people might be. Uh, Gabe's really good at it. Um, I'm just – I've, I've never actually thought so conscious, very consciously about it. I think what they're – like, kind of the contrary is, like, artists are really bad with uh, – or at least um, music producers – like there's this, like we have, they haven't figured out um, social media yet. Uh, I, you know, I'm not saying that I have, um, not in the slightest, but there is this kind of like uh, this thing of, I'm now realizing that the tools that Facebook supplies you with are so much broader than what most of us use. Like we'll have these thousands and thousands of followers and like, the idea is that, you know, I think everyone's going like, but it was free. You know, I used to be able to reach them for free. And you go, yeah, it sucks. Like, you're not, 
it's not free anymore. That's the way it is. And it's actually pretty cheap to reach a lot of your, your fans. And like this crazy, you know, you can, if you put a video up and X amount of people view it, you can go find me a hundred thousand more people that yeah. are just like those people. Yeah. Like the tools I I'm now realizing, I'm still trying to figure out how we can apply it to um, music, but there's like, there's this kind of, um, for a lot of the time it was like, as long as you're telling a story, um, that's like, like we'll engage. And now it's kind of like everyone's told the same story of like, oh, we went on tour. Here's us on the plane. Here's us partying in the hotel. Here's us on stage. Here's us sleeping in a van. You know, like <laughs> this like this story has been told time and time again. We've been guilty of it. You know, like it's it's just a part of that's that's that was like the the kind of thing. Like over 2012 through to now, let's say, there was uh, Facebook has evolved in many senses. It might feel the same, but like it's um, – for the the tools that it supplies you with and like the ebbs and flows of trends and and all that sort of stuff and now it's kind of like you can't just tell a story you have to tell an interesting one yeah um so i I think um it's funny that you say that i i completely agree like it's intriguing how like if we talk about generally artists how some of the big names have really pushed back on certain technical um technical or technological trends Mm. Um, like I think of like Taylor Swift and others not wanting to be on streaming services or other situations, whatever it may be. But um, but how like the music industry in a way got holed out from what it was, let's say back in the nineties. Um, so that that intrigues me for sure. And I think like, um, yeah, I think I, I saw Calvin Harris had like. What was it? It was like literally a clip on his Instagram or Twitter and it was the entire process of how he made his most recent, you know, blockbuster number one song. Yeah. And people were just fucking loving it and it's super fascinating. Was it, it pretty basic? Very basic. Yeah. Like it was like he had his phone and was filming himself like cutting it up and going through it and all that sort of stuff and it was like a two-minute video. Yeah. It's like I I've I stand by this. I said this – like a while ago and uh, not knowing if it was like accurate, but time is, I, I still stand by it. It's very easy to be a good producer. It's really hard to be an interesting one. Yeah. There's like, we're lucky enough to live in an information age where you can learn everything back to front. Even if you just use Ableton's like how to section, you know, like the little helper guide, or you go on Facebook uh, on YouTube and, watch some tutorials there's mm. like so much free information out there that any kind of sound or genre that you want to fit to you can do and if you want a sample pack they're pretty much free i mean there's so many torrents out there and like downloads like i would encourage people to support um anyone creating really good content but at the same time i've been totally guilty of pirating stuff yeah and there's um yeah it's so it's it's the the tools are there to be like a good producer, but then it's like, how do you do something that's different without being wanky? Or it's like, it's forward thinking without being um, just kind of, that's the point of it. You know, yeah. there's this really nice, happy medium that, you know, I think you'll see it will be like the central vein to any big art, like Flume. It was like melodic pop music with this textual production that is, that had just, it was really unheard of for the, for the most part. Um, and you know, Radiohead have done that. And then even pop acts, 
you know, like yeah, that's been intriguing the way that they've integrated um, electronic music into their styles during yeah. the last ten years. And there's there's definitely this like really interesting kind of uh, digestive tract of where like different genres kind of get shit out the other end. It I, I think in the US, and you know like, you can look at that as a bad a good thing or a bad thing, but it's like if you come up with something, you can look at your sound or your your act going off in America is like the death of, or like time to progress. And that, I think that's kind of accurate. Like you need a, you want to be a couple steps ahead of the U S. Um, but it's also where like you probably make the bulk of your money. Yeah. You start off cool in UK, Europe, and then you might come through Australia or like we're, we're a bit of a wild card, whether or where, you know, we thought dubstep was cool until 2012. <laughs> I mean, ironically the U S did till like 2014, yeah. but like, you know, you go to England and everyone will be telling you, yeah, man, that was like dead in 2008. Like that, there's this real process, which is interesting because we, we're so connected. Like the, it's not like the internet isn't making these sounds available, but there's still this like weird pattern of like trickle down. Do you, you were mentioning before about tools. Like what do you guys use in particular? Oh yeah. Uh, just a laptop and Ableton. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's like software that, um, I know Gabe Gabe loves a bunch of uh he's got a bunch of new ones that he's um pretty excited by. I I haven't used them yet, but I I love that there's a a plugin called Simplant for anyone that's like interested in hearing some like kind of left of field sounds. Pretty hard to like very easy to mess with but pretty hard to guide in, if you have a general sense of what you want to hear. Mm. It's like it's kind of a wild card thing, but that's that's the whole point of it. It's very it's made to be this also almost gamified production tool. Yeah, like like I was saying before, um, before we started recording, recording we just used like the, even things like GarageBand. They're so I mean, it's not Ableton, but it's still so easy in comparison to what it would have been years ago. There was uh, um, an urban legend that I have not heard being busted. Like the consensus is still um, that Justice's first album cross was all recorded on garage band <laughs> which i can hear like there is that kind of weird like that toy bass kind of slap bass stuff that, that like i i it's not overproduced it's not yeah i i can it's not too far fetched <laughs> yeah what um i'm intrigued by the business business model of music now what do you feel that mm. it is or what do you know that it is based off your experience like a lot of people talk about i think what i've what i was reading because like with every topic i like to get really into it is you you just don't really make money off tracks these days the real money it depends on the type of artist but the real money is to like do tours essentially Touring. and yeah. merch yeah yeah we haven't dipped like kind of ironically seeing as i do um like that stuff online um, personally that we haven't quite done that. The difference I think being is that to make money off merch, you like if you're selling a brand essentially, you know, yeah. that it's like um, people need to be invested in it and they they want to, you're going to have to ask them to spend money on a single logo. Um, so, but yeah, when you are big enough, well, I reckon you, yeah. Yeah, like the I'm thinking about like the weekend and stuff like that. But he's got that, that, yeah. that cross thing going now. And uh the Jaguar and all that. 
Dylan Francis, I know he used to have like a huge, uh, huge online store that was just full of like it seemingly like just kind of riffing on his own like social media presence and all that sort of shit. Really? Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure he made a killing out of it. So, going back to the business model thing, what do you think it is? Um, How do you see it now? The cornerstones, at least from my own experience, is uh, touring. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's money to be made in syncs, like whether you're being put on ads and everything, but that's like not as guaranteed. Whereas if you put out a single as an established artist, even if it doesn't hit as hard as your last one or whatever, usually people are pretty still pretty excited to um, at least go and see you on tour. Um, I think I think it's the goalposts are constantly shifting and like because I still think the way I'm looking at it is like the industry's it feels like it's still kind of evolving, like it's still pulling itself out of quite a, a an old system. Hmm. Um, you know, two years ago, Spotify was just like something that was added. You know, it was like all right, we're we're doing iTunes release, we're pushing that. And we want to get as many plays on SoundCloud as we can. The iTunes stuff was more so like um, it'd be great to get like a number one in the electronic charts. Um, and because next to no one was uh, actually downloading it or just music in general, it was like you'd see people like pop up above huge artists, you know, like um, because it was just like they could guide their fan base to this one. Whereas now SoundCloud's kind of dead because um, they tried to monetize it and they're charging subscription fees for yet another streaming service. It, it is now a streaming service in the US. It's still free in Australia, but um, like you'll there'll be tracks that are blocked beyond 30 seconds now, which is really annoying. Um, but yeah, Spotify, I think is, at least in Australia, like that's that's seemingly the where we're trying to attack. Where, I mean- not us consciously, but like we'll go into label meetings and we'll be like, all right, well, we'll push this link. And it's like, you got to share the same link and it just, it'll take you through to a thing that'll give you the options. Do you want to listen to it on iTunes? But um, of the Apple Music, iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, the one in Australia that is like, that'll get you the most, uh, probably make you the most money. And also the furthest reaching is, Apparently Spotify. Really? Yeah. Like playlisting too because they do their own playlisting. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. So, it's like- So, you find that Spotify is the best platform for you guys? Yeah. They seem to be taking over like- I mean, they're not taking over radio but like in the sense that like there was radio where you could get playlisted and beamed out to people that would never listen to you or there was iTunes where people had to come find you, know your stuff, want to buy it and add it to their own playlist whereas now they'll be like- um, there's a playlist called the Australian Sound, and it's like every Australian uh, electronic act. Well, it's not everyone, but it's like it. It's it's a got a ton of followers, and yeah, there. There's this kind of nice lack of bias. Like, yeah, I th- I remember there was like uh, one of the, the last Flume single came out, and um. I think our friend Kilter was above him for a couple of days and like that they're, they're not thinking like, or it, it seemed uh, this guy could be completely misguided here, but it seemed like there wasn't a hierarchy, at least from the people inputting the, really? what you should listen to. Yeah. 
Are there any podcasts on Spotify? I know it's predominantly music, but I wonder if they've expanded out. They, I think they have. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if they're aggregating from Apple or yeah. if they because I mean. Because I'm always intrigued by other platforms, you know. I'm guessing Apple would have a pretty big problem with them aggregating. Yeah. Apple sort of. Yeah, I don't know, like, because I don't know what Apple's getting out of it, you know? Like, we, we mm. publish, obviously, on iTunes, and um, that goes out to every other platform except, like, things like um, Stitcher. So, Stitcher, you... Actually, I, no, Stitcher is iTunes library. No, Pocket Cast, we had to create a separate feed. But we've got our own RSS feed, so it just it doesn't matter what platform. We just have to put up the, the link, and it's just there for good. The <clears> last, <throat> like, one of the last... Um, uh, Joe Rogan podcast I listened to, there was just like the last half an hour was Bill Burr and Brian Redband arguing about Stitcher. Yeah. Apparently there's like, I don't know. But I, that's the only reason it's on my radar, but they, they're they like a paid service, right? Or No, it's free. It's just a, it's more suited to Android phones. Uh, it's just people oh, maybe right. use yeah, it for podcasts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but no, I'm, I'm intrigued because I've just always wanted to Spotify does that. Um I've seen people posting on Facebook like any good Spotify podcast you can recommend. So that's the un- but only recently. So maybe they've okay. just added it. Maybe I'm happy with my podcast. <laughs> Do you um, mind if I use a loop? Yeah, 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 we can take a break for sure. So back and recording. Bladder's certainly less full. Mm. <laughs> um, I was. I'm interested to know who were sort of the unorthodox people that that you like or people that you really look up to in electronic music. Like um, I'm thinking about people who've taught themselves, like you spoke a lot about Flume. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like not to take it away anything from from what he's done, but like every, like most kids out there now have taught themselves. Like there's, I know one professionally trained audio engineer and that's John from Rufus. Um, uh and that that's kind of like, I remember being like, whoa, that's, you know, that, that was a first. And I still haven't met anyone since that's um, like, try, I mean, I I have met plenty of people, but they'll be mixing engineers and that's like their job instead of like um, producer DJs or electronic acts, you know, a lot of the time they're self-taught. Um, so it's, it, it, I think it was unorthodox, maybe 15, maybe 20 years ago. Like Daft Punk did homework, the album, and the <laughs> idea being that like the overarching theme was you can do this in your bedroom. Yeah. What about- That was break, yeah. So, okay. So what about then teachers? Who do you sort of really look up to then? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like I'm thinking about how people can go ahead and learn about this sort of stuff. Yeah, I think I think it's one of those things where you can learn. Um, uh, I think that it's more methodical the learning. Um, that, you know, if you're going to a teacher, it'll be like this button does, does this. It'll be like cause and effect. Whereas um, the the creativity of it, I don't know anyone that really teaches that. And to be honest, I've, I I would suggest just um, collaborating with a bunch of people. I don't actually like working with other people, like, or at least I don't like doing writing sessions where it's like, okay, you have four hours, write a song. That's not how I work. Um, 
but it is always really, really interesting to you get to walk away with this um, this Ableton file of someone else's like techniques. So you can, I mean, you you each have a version of it. So and I'm sure they'd do the same to me. Like oh, he does that with his kicks, or you know, like right. So if someone wanted to really learn click quickly, it's best to go find a group of like-minded people at sort of similar stage. Yeah, and, and there's a million um, like there's there's a bunch of Facebook groups where you can be a part of that. Some of them are open, some of them are private. Yeah. Um, so, like, what are some – if they were searching for some of these groups, what would be, like, the taglines they'd be looking for? I think there was the producer group or the Australian producer group. I, that's, like – that's a lot of young kids <laughs> that are into, like, <laughs> like trancy Melbourne bounce. Yeah. Um, I don't think I'm – I don't think I'm in it, but I just – it pops up in my feed, I think, because Facebook's probably going, you seem to like – stuff yeah. associated with this um if you if you yeah. had the opportunity then if you let's say you got like three 15 year olds and you got a million bucks on the line <laughs> and you have to turn them into like a professional uh someone who can perform at rats <laughs> on, on a thursday night and you got three months how I, would you do you that could probably do it in three hours really <laughs> oh yeah like i mean if, if we're if we're talking literally about, about rats like we didn't even know how to mix we just push the volume up on one and down on the other. But if you had to get them like performance ready, like good enough that I think the technicalities of DJing is like it's it is so like you know after you you spend a couple of hours figuring it out and then it's like hopefully you've got a bit of rhythm. Um, it you know you figure out to be again it's it's easy to be a good DJ to be an amazing DJ is really hard. Yeah, I think that and I would not consider myself an amazing DJ. There's People that practice and you can tell, like, um, Alice in Wonderland is a freak. She's, like, she's so proficient and talented at that sort of thing and, like, really, really thinks about her sets um, down to, like, because she's the only one in control, like, down to, like, um, how she's – No, it's not just, like, a thing of finding the same beat and then pushing the volume up and down on the other. Like, she's – Yeah. Um, and I only ever noticed that watching, like, because you really can't see much if you're in the crowd. But yeah, um, I think 2012 at Falls, someone was stupid enough to give me a, an all-access pass, and I watched her from, like, the viewing pen, like, up above the stage. It was, yeah, mind-numbing the speed that she was, <laughs> she was doing everything at. Um, what do you think is the best and worst advice doled out to people Ooh. getting into this? Best and worst advice. Like in the first thing about like the first few years of you guys doing this. Um, damn, that's hard. Uh, best advice would be, I mean, I would say is produce your own like content, no matter what you're doing creatively. Like um, if it's, you know, like I guess DJing is you can play other people's songs, but there's uh, specifically to that. There's like so much more. Uh, there, there is a really, really low hanging ceiling that you will hit very quickly if you're just going to be a DJ and that's it. You're not making your own music and you're not playing it out. Um, so definitely make your own music. Um, and worst advice, the wor- I the worst advice was I guess. Advice this is going to sound very, very cheesy. Like advice that I gave myself. I left high school wanting to do, uh, wanting to do music production, and 
I never felt I, I I didn't consider myself as in any way musical, even though I've been doing it for two years. But it was because I didn't. There's this like weird sense of belonging in high school. Like you have your thing. Like you're the drama kid or you're the photography kid. Yeah. So I was a photography kid, um, and I didn't do music. And so I every time I told anyone that you know I I've been playing around with like a synthesizer, it was kind of either met with like, oh, you, but you don't do that. Like what do you, what do you mean? Like <laughs> or um. Yeah, it was, it, there was this weird – it was probably a very inward thing, but also, like, I definitely felt like I didn't belong. So, leaving high school and wanting to do it, it was like, oh, well, I have to go and do a um, music production course right? Uh, for three years at $10,000 a year. It Those was things no are money ridiculous. at 18. Yeah. Yeah, and of which the piece of paper no one gives a shit about. Like, there's no one in the industry being like, you now have a job as a DJ because <laughs> you have that piece of paper. Yeah. Um. So – yeah, I actually I ran into um uh my friend's dad, um, Mike Barker, and he's a drummer for um a bunch of bands, but at that point it was I think John Butler Trio and he was like, Just don't do that. That's such a bad idea. Take <laughs> the money that you're gonna spend on like the first three months of that education. Go to YouTube, um, figure out you know, go and learn some tutorials, spend the money on um Ableton and um, you know a few pieces of hardware. So I literally I had a, I'd gotten into like two music production courses of which I just never responded to. Yeah. Because of that and that was genius advice. Sounds awesome. <laughs> like I yeah, I couldn't think of anything fucking worse. I remember I used to have one of those institutions of a, as a client I just used to go and like how this just makes no sense to me. Mm. And I mean I I had the same even like with with business I mean Fer- Tim Ferriss has spoken about it. Like I had the option with the investing thing, I could go do an MBA, go get pay for that money, pay that money, do an MBA, get the you know piece of paper, and then go work as a private equity type guy. But like, I haven't really learned anything doing that. Yeah, you have and to learn with your own money. It's this really interesting change, this shift that I think we've seen, but we haven't quite realised that mm. that piece of paper used to be a requirement you know, in many, many more senses. But now we're still we're still going on by those old rules, but there's so so many industries in which you don't need it. And it's like it's actually better off to go, I'm going to put up my own money and take the risk because, A, it's cheaper, um, and, B, you have this, like, wealth of experience that you don't, you can't buy. And no one gives a shit about that piece of paper. Like, <laughs> I, I really, I, I, that was, like, kind of a, a notion that I was like, yeah, but that's like creative stuff. It's kind of a bit that neither here nor there, but then hearing, um, again, I listen to Elon Musk a lot. He, like he'll get people at, you know, when he's talking on stage that during question time, people being like, do you need any, um, engineers? I saw on his Instagram the other day, um, summing up someone asking if, uh, he could, it's like, I'm a professional welder, but I don't have a degree. I'd love to work for you at SpaceX. And his reply was like, that's fine. We don't care about yeah. that piece of paper. I, I love that shit. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, for some reason, and like he's he's a genius for kind of well, social, thinking. Social capital's changed. That's the thing. No one cares about whether you got that paper. You just care about whether they can do it. Yeah. Know? But it's, I feel like there's, for, in so many senses, people are still behind like this. Like he's- it seems like common sense to go, yeah, it doesn't matter about 
as long as you can do what you do really well, come on in. But there's still a lot of um, there's at least there's this um, unspoken consensus that you do need it. Mm. Whereas, and he's looked at it as a trailblazer, as a CEO, being like, "That's fine. We don't need a uni degree." Whereas, <laughs> you know, ten years from now, probably even five years from now, it'll it could be completely different. Yeah, there will obviously still be things where like. I would like my lawyer to have a law degree. <laughs> You're right, and your doctor to have done the five to seven years. <laughs> what, what prescriptions is he dealing out? What what sort of apparent failures or mistakes have led to something good, do you think? Oh, I read that one on, on the email you sent. Um, say it again. So, like, what apparent failure, like something that seemed like a failure at the time or like a setback has evolved into a lesson a lesson of some kind or something else that you guys did entirely oh yeah uh um there was i think there was a few labels that we were looking at um initially uh and there was kind of like this uh well i mean it it didn't become a benefit we kind of just like we went with we were forced out of a few of the options because it was like there was a there's these things called 360 deals where they'll be like we're going to give you a manager, booking agent, and a record label, and they and a publisher. So they kind of like they keep it all in house. But then is usually you want a little bit of competition between all of them. Like you want them to be, you know, fighting for you, uh, you love a little bit, I guess. But you know, um, there, yeah. Uh, so we had a few of those where it was like we already had a manager, so those deals would fall through, and we just kind of got lucky in going with sweated out because I don't know there was this just we 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 were picked by them at the point where so Adrian um, was uh, better known as Ajax was the head of the label, and he passed away like I think it was us and uh, Rufus were his two last signings, so it felt pretty like. Uh, monumental to be included in that but also i guess now looking back at it we thought like sweated out was at its pinnacle you know it was like so cool and you know all these exciting acts were a part of it and then little did we know you know there was that was like they're probably at base camp you know that <laughs> they've kept going up and up yeah um so we i guess that wasn't that wasn't a, a mistake that we fell into that uh, you know we were Luckily enough, our other options, because you know we we didn't uh, we didn't know what a record deal looked like, and um, yeah, so we kind of like got lucky with just the other agreements falling through. <laughs> we were saying before at the start, if you could um, speak at TEDx Melbourne and <sighs> had to be on anything other than DJing, what would it be? Oh, it would definitely be something other than DJing. I'd like it's it's I felt a bit awkward about like having such a long form interview talking about something that I don't feel quite adept with. Sound engineering I'm I feel like all right with, but yeah, that whole uh everything else is kind of like you know, I'm kind of following other people's leads. Whereas with TED anything to do with TED talks, I would I'm very, very excited about sustainable um uh Sustainable future, more specifically housing, um, because, again, this is a layman's eye looking in at an industry that I do not understand. But obviously, there seems to be something 
broken in the system, for, well, at least for our generation, where, where you know, we'll, we'll inherit houses maybe, but the, the lucky ones will, but just kind of being, uh, you know, your average lower middle class um, person going, oh, I want to, I want to buy a house. That's kind of not an option for you unless you live a couple of hours out of the city. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and so I, I watched a TED talk on this guy. Uh, well, a guy did a presentation on, I guess it was the broader theme was architecture and like um, critical thinking. Uh, but he's, what he's designed is this system. It's called a, the, the design's called Ren and it's, uh, the name of the, you can go to check it out. It's a wiki house. I think wikihouse.cc, but essentially it's this open source, um, design where you, you can design the structure of a house by 3d printing. Well, not 3d printing, flat laying, um, structural ply and cutting different shapes into it and then with no screws just a hammer that will be printed out of the same structural ply um it's kind of like this everything's symmetrical so there's no wrong way to put it in so two people that have never built a house before can erect these pretty basic structures themselves when you essentially like his thinking is you cut out the architect which is quite costly you cut out the builder also quite costly and then you just what you're paying for is the land and cost of material now yeah. cost of material will fluctuate the land will fluctuate the the land's always going to be a huge uh, expenditure but it just kind of this is like that one little uh yeah well it's like a 50 50 split these days yeah so like you're, you're taking out quite a bit but it's it's also like so i i would give a talk on my kind of vision for what can be done with, cause that's one little piece of the puzzle, like structure. Okay. We can put up the bare bones of a house. Cool. Now what about everything else? And like what that you can buy, um, double glazed polar windows from Bunnings now. Like you don't have to get them custom made anymore. You can put, uh, this R6. It's, it's this poly ISO insulation. It's like, an inch thick and like I think the highest rating of you know thick wool inlay you can get from Bunnings is uh I checked it a few years ago I think it's like 3.8 or 4 so this in a single inch and you know that's you know uh, what am I 12 inches of um of really heavy wool insulation for one inch you can get R6 which you you can make your house an esky essentially like the only heat that will be in there is the heat that you let in. All right. Yeah. So there's this, you know, if you take all these elements that are, they're not commonly used as far as I can tell, like um, at least Australian housing codes only demand three point, like modern houses, 3.5, I think in the roof and like even less in the walls. So there's this sort of thing where, you know, you go, well, that's what, what do you care about insulation? Well, then you can heat the house with, um, there's these, there's this stuff called Earthships, or Earthship Biotecture, which is a bit more hippie. Um, they build structures with high thermal mass, meaning like compacted dirt or anything like brick is high thermal mass. Anything that will absorb heat when the sun hits it. Okay. Um, and then through insulation in certain, like if you insulate the back of the wall and let the sun hit the brick, it'll heat up and then won't it won't reflect back out into the um, 
into the air, it'll come back into the house because there's that insulation. Right. So there's this really interesting pattern of like if you put uh, high thermal mass in a north-facing, like a big stream of north-facing windows, um, you can pretty much, if you've got thermal mass, whether it's water, um, stone, like you'll see a lot of stone pillars now in houses with skylights at the top. And essentially what that does is lets the sun just heat this central column. Wow. And, um, yeah, they're – that that heat goes really quickly now. Uh, it, it'll it'll emanate, but if you have this crazy insulation that won't let the heat out, you can essentially design houses that um, heat and cool themselves. And again, this is just like uh, I've been. I used to live with a an eco architect, so he was like, "Yeah, that's that's something we do." And there's programs to figure out how we need to face your house on your block specific. But it it seems like he's he was like a niche for like very wealthy people. And it's like this This can be brought to a mass market. So I think if I was to do a TED Talk, I would spend a couple months figuring out like a really, really basic house design that could heat, cool, um, it collect its own water, maybe even grow its own food um, to some extent. Sick. Yeah. Yeah. The earth ships do. Like they've, they're very, very like they, they'll, they'll grow uh, like uh, 50% of their food. Uh, along like the main corridor, which is north facing, and then they've designed ones that'll completely sustain like a uh, five five person family. Yeah, I've got another interview next week with a winemaker who basically built like a tiny house next to the vines. Very cool. So I'm very interested to see that. Yeah, very small, but like looking at it, it's just yeah, like you said, a lot of it well insulated, keeps itself well. I've I've got some yeah, I got some ideas that I'm really excited about. I. I and not ideas, questions that I need to ask before I can call these things ideas because they <laughs> might not actually have any legs in them. But yeah, um, with with people that know what they're talking about. Yeah. So I and yeah, and I can talk endlessly about it, probably more so than music, just because it's just I don't know. One of those topics. It just seems like the, it's almost like a why is no more why aren't we more engaged with this sort of stuff? Like we have, especially you know you and I and our generation. It's like this is we're, we're kind of fucked. Like with with uh, housing, um, what if we could figure out a way to like cut enough costs that uh, whether it's a singular purchase or generationally, you know, like we start off with this, you know, we're 20, we're happy to live in a um, tiny home or, you know, something of that size. Mm. I feel like any new technology just takes time to map itself out through an industry. But also like you're talking about, with construction in Australia, it's such a huge sector mm. that um, they're not going to be integrating some of this stuff because it means that they're irrelevant. Unless that's why I'm, there will be someone who does that and just completely and makes them. It. Yeah, yeah. I'm. That's that's what I'm <laughs> looking for. I've yeah. I've gen. I know. I've got. I've got a a basic idea mapped out in my head that I think could be applicable, but I I don't. I don't. I don't have the the data to speak to it just yeah. yet. But you know, that's something that I will. I, I you know you know when you uh, there's just no no not doing it. Yeah, I will do it at some point. You know, <laughs> the research that is. Yeah, yeah I, I want a rural property at some point. Just a small place. Do you? Well, we were talking about building into the side of the hill. Yeah, that's the the Swedes. Yeah, that's the same concept. It's yeah. like it it insulates, but it also absorbs like. Um, 
it, it'll absorb sunlight and I think those houses, they use fires. But nowadays you can just, as long as you angle it right. That's the thing. Mm. They've built these things in the middle of, uh, I think, the Arizona desert, is it? Yeah. Um, gets down to negative 15 Celsius um, in winter and then it'll hit 40, 45 in the middle of summer. Like th- this is like desert. Like, yeah, I've, I've seen some of these places. Yeah, and they've they've like literally held. Um, they've done the tests, and it holds almost an exact twenty one degrees Celsius year round, just from sunlight. Yeah, right. Yeah, so it yeah. begs the question: Why aren't we doing it with more of our construction? Like, it's still a new wave. It's still coming. Like you, you think about like Netflix, and they've got all those tiny house uh, documentaries. Um, it's still being popularized. You know, we I. The way I see it is we need we need someone to come in and go this stop trying to pitch it as like a a hippie comp you know yeah like, a lifestyle all of that earthship <laughs> stuff is like well you got to be in the middle of nowhere you got to have like an acre of land to run a long house exactly yeah whereas it's like and they they kind of don't budge on that they they'll be like no this is how we do it this is what we created this so if you want to learn from us is you know but you go hey, well not everyone's the same yeah people want options and that's fine. Find a way to give it to them. Tesla, like you're not buying an electric car, you're buying the best car in the world. Like it just so happens to be electric. Yeah. There's, there's, I think there's like, um, there's a point to that that is like, that makes sense. Don't, don't do it because it's fitting a niche. Let it fit a niche, but that's not the point of it. Do you, like, how do you get out of your head? Do you meditate? Do you have, hobbies i get like a little bling on my phone at nine every morning to meditate which i have ignored for about a year now (laughs) uh all of that sort of stuff comes in ebbs and flows with me like um again tim ferris like pushed me to journal you know like the you know the really basic like stuff you're excited to do today things you're thankful for like yeah just to get something out of your head. Yeah. yeah. And I I did that for like four, eight months. It was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, but it fell by the wayside and I haven't really missed it. Um, I usually do that sort of stuff when like, I guess I'll need some sort of reset. Like, oh, shit, I'm in a rut. Or, um, So this year has been really, really productive. I've got a lot of kind of things to really really get excited about so uh the stuff that i probably should be doing is maybe meditating just stop being so frantic like um yeah kind of if it's okay that sort of thing (laughs) but uh the one thing that i've been doing constantly and like the first time in my life that i've actually stuck to doing it is walking i walk for like 40 minutes a day right yeah it's great because i can i'll just listen to a podcast or a book <laughs> I n- never used to read because it, I was just such a slow reader and now I can listen to a, a book a, in a book week, at yeah. two times speed. Do you, do you, what do you like? You mentioned podcasts and I think we were chatting before Tim Ferriss, Joe Rogan. I like your go-tos. Yeah. Um, what about music? What are you normally listening to? Uh, I went, I've been, what have I been doing? I'll probably show you the playlists. There, I've been trying to find a lot of um old kind of like 
not love songs, but like I, I watched, uh, I mean, this is just from a week ago. I watched the new series of Master of None. Okay. And I, my, I, I think he chooses the music as he's Ansari because I've seen him talk in interviews about like uh, particular songs that he's included and being like, why aren't they bigger? And, um, and he's got this really, really, really good mix of, they feel like classics, but you're not, you're almost not recognizing them. Um, and yeah, so I've been trying to find those where you'd be like, I've never heard this before, but it should be a hit. So I found a few of them, but yeah. What, um, what are your favorite non-musical sounds? Non-musical sounds mm-hmm. like it, it as in like any sound, but it can't be a musical sound. Can I say audiobooks? I'm thinking like like singular sounds. Yeah, like a when it, mm, I like uh uh you know I make a percolator of uh, like a French press <laughs> yeah. of coffee, um, and pouring the coffee. I think that's probably more of like a Pavlovian response of yeah. me being like, I'm going to wake up now. Um, I really, I don't know about sounds, but I do, there's this, I, I always catch myself driving back into Melbourne from being away and coming over the Balti Bridge. Beautiful view. I don't know why. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's probably not the most beautiful. It's like Docklands is a bit boring, but you get the, the nah, whole city skyline. I love it. And it's changed dramatically in the last five years. Yeah. It's- I think it's more because it's like signaling that I'm home. Yeah. If I drove that every day to work, I'd probably hate it. But <laughs> yeah. Of the books that you've listened to, any that you'd strongly recommend? Uh, the- Sapiens. Ah, okay. Yeah. yeah. I've read that. I found it, like everything else I was reading was um, uh, oddly like finance-based. Um, just it started with um, uh, what was it? The the new Tony Robbins one. Uh, uh money. Yeah, I like I I can he I have to take him with a grain of salt. Like you definitely do. Yeah, like he's he seems like a very charismatic dude. A book that is five hundred pages, but really should be fifty. Yeah, yeah, and the whole thing of um, like he needs to be the like. His, I don't think his methods work without him. If you go, like, yeah. th- ironically, he called his special "I'm not your guru," but he so clearly is. Yeah, like all those go- people, like he definitely jumping is. on the trampoline. I found that like, okay, this is it's a like uh, this sounds horrible, but like watching that thing, you go, oh, these are some broken humans, and he's he's like a bit, like an empathetic. He, he understands the psychology and where where they are, and like he might not be traditionally trained but that's essentially what it felt like was like these are broken humans and he's here to fix them and without a strong charismatic character at the forefront um yeah it it wouldn't work um and yeah it was called i'm not your guru but obviously was so i started with that and kind of from that uh it i kept getting recommended other things so i peter teal's zero to one was really really interesting yeah um it's kind of like Everything he's talking about applies to billionaires. You know, it's he's or, like or VCs, yeah, yeah, and like startup people only only create monopolies. Okay, well, <laughs> how do you do? Yeah, that? I mean, for one, the capital that you would need for you know 
to break the mold and own the market for anything. Like, yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't so much apply to me, but I really like Sapiens. That gave like this really, really interesting perspective of. Oh, yeah. Gives you a strong perspective of where, of your own life, I think. Yeah. And like the fact that we're kind of still deeply rooted in animal behavior is almost calming. Like it's, it's like you still have these like hardwired functions that will trigger, but you also have the brain capacity to guide your evolution, which is really exciting, I think. Yeah. Do you feel that you've learned any particular lessons from either of your parents that you sort of held with you along the way? They might have said it to uh-huh. you or you might have just seen it through action and then you realize, like, I, I you know, find that I mimic my parents in certain ways now. So yeah, it's scary, isn't it? It's yeah. Scary. <laughs> <laughs> um. Particular, like I, um, my dad and I have always been a constant. Like we've always been really fr- like good friends. My mum and I, like I, I was a little shit as a kid. Like up until about seven, like there was this weird sense of independence that I had. That I always, I think, I mean, I don't quite remember it. She tells me the stories, so, <laughs> but I, you know, I believe it. Um, I was very, very defined in many ways, and she's since said she was like, I think, you know, I was still a kid in many sense, you know, she was, uh, she felt in herself that she was a kid still. And that it was like meeting this strong little ball of energy and like hard headed kind of brattiness was, and, and I could see that, you know, that it was like shaking her. Whereas my dad was a school teacher and had to deal with brats all the time. So he knew how to address it. And since like my mum has, well, I mean, since I guess 2009, she like my parents broke up in 2009 and she like she'd never really had like uh, a super secure job like nothing contracted nothing where it's like yeah health insurance you covered she was an artist she worked for herself she did really well but i mean it at the point of like she's pushing 50 and in the middle of a divorce going like fuck i'm gonna have to do something here i remember like thinking retrospectively like shit she would have been at a crossroads either play go the safe path um go the safe and secure path that isn't as secure as you think it is you just it's like conservative you know get a job at a retail store live locally you know really watch your money instead she went the other way um she'd already been running women's tours to morocco uh like about once a year for i think five years at that point so she had like it was great income like for a family income like adding to a family income but it was i think something that she had to take a real leap of faith with to do it on her own so she moved to morocco really yeah she lives there still wow yeah she comes back once a year um to kind of do the uh meet all the women that are going to come over to morocco she holds a lunch um but i think and ever always like for as long as I could remember, she was always the uh, the one to, like, if you were any self-doubt, she'd be like, nah, come on, none of that. But she couldn't practice what she preached in many senses. She was, you could still tell that, like, she someone needed to do that for her. She couldn't do it yeah. herself. And, and I've noticed now that, like, she's, like, almost bulletproof in that now. It's like, and I think at, oh, I would have been 19 through till now, so, like, uh, seven years I've seen her like uh, grow more than I ever have. So I think just 
leading by example, I'd say that seeing that is like, yeah, take those risks because if you're not excited about what you're doing, what's the point? Yeah. Yeah. That's really fascinating. Yeah. I, we, we've, my mum and I have discussed it since and we kind of like have come to that conclusion. Like, yeah, shit, that's what happened. <laughs> yeah. Last question. Um, what do you think has been the most worthwhile investment of your time or money or resources into something? Um, so, uh, classy duds would be mostly for, um, uh, just kind of proving to myself my capacity for learning and independence in that, uh, I got a royalty check for a song that I wrote, um, with a friend of mine, like outside of Indian summer. Um, I had like, uh, I think I got $700. It was great. Like, Awesome, like seven hundred dollars out of nowhere that I I've totally forgotten about my um my writing credit on that song. Um, so I was like, all right, I'm kind of flush now. Like I've I'd paid off my rego, and I was like, I had this idea for I really want to do designs. I want to do an apparel company, start with t-shirts, and work through whatever I desire. So I did some research and found like um found like a skeleton sort of set up a vague idea, but there was definitely like investments that need to be made before I could actually figure out, you know, how it all works. So I was like, all right, I'm happy to lose this $700. Um, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And I'm out $700. If it does cool, I get like a passive income. And I think I now realize that I could have started it on $0, but I did spend about $200 starting it up. Uh, of which was repaid within a month. And so um, I think it's just, it seemed like a huge risk at the time because yeah. I was like the $700 as much as was like, yeah, I've paid over everything off. It's like, I probably shouldn't fuck with this because I will need rego in another 12 months. <laughs> um, and that's almost a perfect amount. But yeah, I'm, there was a risk that I took um, and as yeah, it's just I it's not so much the money or like the success it's the um it's the learning. It's the learning and it's the um you could like I could do this else you know like I more people should do this. Yeah. Yeah, so it seems like you've learned the different aspects of business and then you can you feel that you can apply it elsewhere. From someone that has never run a business in his life. Yeah. Yeah. It's Everything can be done on your phone. Yeah. Yeah. Look, Chevy, I really appreciate this. Um, hey, thanks for having me. Getting conscious of time. And um, if people were to find you on social media, Indian Summer, Classy Dads, yeah. whatever you're doing, what what would the platforms be? And uh, The best one, uh, if you're on Instagram, is Indian Summer AU. Um, if, you're on, uh, if you're on Instagram looking for Classy Dads, it's Classy Dads. Um. And I think they have the same URLs for Facebook. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, look, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And um, hopefully I can convince you to do it another time yeah, soon. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cool. Thank you. Sweet. Thank you for making it this far. We really do hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure, as I said at the start, leave us a review. We always appreciate feedback and thoughts on each episode. 
You can head to neural.com slash podcast and join the 90% of our listeners with priority access. So if you want all the show notes and when an episode is released first, that'll be available to you. Don't forget to like us on Facebook or Twitter. It's just at Neural. Until next episode, thanks for listening.